All right, let's do it. Episode 74 of Nothing to Say, the fans podcast. We got a lot to get to. We got some college football to talk about. The NFL, we had Super Wild Card Weekend. We have some Kings talk to get to. We got a lot of stuff we have to cover in a very short time. So, Sam, quickly, how was your week since the last time uh, we recorded? Oh, week one was good, man. Week one of uh, winter term, great. Uh, a lot of the same stuff that went on in fall term. How about you, man? Uh, not too bad. I just uh, recently signed up for my next couple classes. Um my semester is going to start here in like a week and a half. So, uh, yeah, ready to do some more uh, some more calculus. That'll be a lot of fun. Not, not really. Not really. Um, Dom, you're back at school, right? Why, yes, I am. What's and, it like? Uh... Uh, what's it like being <laughs> back after such a uh, such a big long break? Well. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great being back, given that you know the first day that I was on campus, we won a national championship. So um, phenomenal, I would say. I, I don't think there's really a better start to semester. I think I think everything's going great so far. Oh, did did Alabama win? I'm, Why? I must, yes, I must. Have yes, missed they that. did. I, I must have <laughs> missed that. Dom, you weren't well, part you of know. that um, that huge party in Tuscaloosa, were you? You weren't out there, right? Oh, I was. <laughs> it looks like Mardi Gras out there. So it did. I was No, go the, ahead. For the record, okay, I was wearing my mask and I was with my roommates and the same people that I see pretty much every day. So we have the same chance of, you know, catching the virus as people who uh wear masks and see the same people they do every single day and live with them, all right? So I wasn't stupid. I didn't take off my mask and go run into a giant, you know, the hodgepodge of people I didn't know. Um, we tried to keep it, you know, safe as possible while enjoying the moment. Because again, uh, these things, I mean, they just don't come very often when you only have four years at a university. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to experience that. Um, but at the same time, you know, be, be smart about it as, as much as I could. So um, it was incredible. I mean, I don't, I, I can't say enough about it. Just that, that feeling um, of being a national champion, once again, and we really do say, I know people, there's that debate of like, you say our team or like we, or, or you say they, it really is we. I think most of the people that are Alabama fans say we, because we really feel like the team is part of us. It's part of this community. It's part of the university. And so are we. And so that's just kind of, um, that's how we address it. And it's just, uh, it, it's just, I can't say enough about it. it, it the the buy-in for this team this year against all odds um, to even play college football and to, and to go the, the distance undefeated, unblemished, and be one of the most dominant national champions ever. Um, it's really incredible. So, um, again, I can't say enough about it. So let's, uh, let's go through the game. Like, uh, you know, I know there's a lot to get into from the game, and we don't have a – we don't have a lot of time necessarily to devote just to the game, but I, I do think we we you know we have a we have a duty to, to at least talk about it. Um, yes. You know, at the beginning of the game, it was you know I had heard so many people talk about well Ohio State is going to have to score at least fifty in order to win this game. And 50 wouldn't have wouldn't have even been enough. And I think that's a large part due to the Heisman Trophy winner 
uh, Devontae Smith, who had 12 receptions, 215 yards, and three touchdowns. Ohio State, I got to ask you this, and I just got a couple questions from the game for you. Do you mm-hmm. think that Devontae Smith having the ridiculous game that he had was more a product of him being just that kind of special or Ohio State just not game planning properly for him? Which yeah, seems so outrageous to say, but it, still. <laughs> it does. Um, you know, Ohio State put their best corner on him, and, and I'm going to – you can't see it, but I'm using air quotes, the best corner. Um, Sean Wade was targeted this entire year by Ohio State opponents, and um, I think he was like the third most targeted cornerback in, in the FBS, and he let up a lot of touchdowns. Um, this Ohio State secondary has been kind of suspect from the beginning. I will say th- these are the stats that Devontae Smith put up in one half. Mm-hmm. Because granted, in the second half, very early on, Devontae Smith went out with a dislocated finger and did not return to the game. So these stats are from one half of play. If you would have given Devontae Smith an entire two more quarters of play, it very well could have gone upwards of 300 yards and four to five touchdowns, if we're being completely honest. Um, I think that – I also think Ohio State's game plan wasn't – was not smart. Sarkeesian did a fantastic – Sarkeesian, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, our offensive coordinator, did a fantastic job of really moving Smith around and trying to get, get him the mismatch, and Ohio State didn't adjust for it. I mean, there was one touchdown pass where they had their middle linebacker lined up in the slot trying to cover Devontae Smith. And that is, that's probably the worst. I mean, that's like second to putting your, your defensive tackle um, trying to cover a wide receiver, especially the Heisman winner. So it really, um, I think Ohio State's game plan did not work clearly uh, for Devontae Smith. I also think that, you know, if they had game plan, maybe they would have cut his stats down a little bit. But I think his stat line still probably would have been the same over the course of the entire game. Um, if 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 he hadn't even got that injury, but they had game planned well enough for him, so I, I don't understand how you can't literally just morph your game plan around a Heisman Trophy winner and stopping him. You know, taking him out of the game. Jalen Waddle was already injured before this game. He tried to play. You know, um, one of our wide receivers, John Mechie, had an undisclosed injury that they actually hadn't been talking about the last few weeks, but it was aggravated um, last night, and it just they still couldn't stop him. And I think that's just really a testament to why it was so appropriate that he won this trophy. I mean, he he was just unstoppable all season long. So another question I have for you, and it's one that's been thrown around a lot after the game. It is just a very simple question. Is this Nick Saban's best team that he's had? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And um, I think there's a few metrics that kind of prove this, I think, that are kind of more important than the other metrics um, or the other things that you might measure some teams as. You know, a lot of teams have, like, a lot of star power. Like, um, I, I still think our best defense overall was the 2016 defense. And granted, that defense didn't win a national championship. Um, they were – we were beat uh, on a last-second touchdown – and, um, you know, that entire defense, literally every single member of that defense, all 11 are in the NFL currently and have spots on NFL rosters. Um, 
our offense wasn't very good. Now, that's not a complete team. Um, granted, the 2018 and 2017 teams, our defense, our defenses were uh, – they underperformed and were overshadowed by our offenses with Tua Tungo-Vailoa, obviously, you know, gunsling. Um, but when it came down to it, you know, uh, an elite defense ended up stopping us and, um, and you know, our, 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 our defense couldn't keep up with it. So this, to me, is the most complete team. We ran the table – um, from start to finish, we played 10 SEC games schedule, including an 11th game, the um, the SEC championship game against Florida. We beat the best 11 teams in the SEC. The only teams we didn't play were the bottom two teams in the conference, and that's Vanderbilt and South Carolina. It's because we didn't play them. Um, the buy-in from this team was incredible. Obviously, the offensive stats, this is the best offense that we've had in the history of the sport, our our, our um, at least in our history, um, Mac Jones had a career high, or excuse me, a, a school record four hundred, you know, four thousand five hundred passing yards. Um, shattered that record set by Tua Tungabailoa a couple of years ago. It's it really to me just is it's the best team that this university has seen. It's the most complete. Um, it was the most dominant. Our margin of victory was about twenty eight points a game. Um, that's just unheard of. I mean, the, the defensive juggernauts of 2011 for us in 2009 that were beating teams by, you know, we would shut them out, but we would still only put up like, you know, 24 points or whatever it was. Uh, that just doesn't work anymore. Um, this is, yeah, I, I really think this just long form, this is the most complete, uh, most dominant Alabama team that we've seen in the history of this university. Mm-hmm. And then do you think that Nick Saban after this one and he's t- and he tied Bear Bryant, um, for the most national championships at Alabama. Do you think Nick Saban has cemented himself as, A, the best college coach of all time, but B, being in the conversation for just best coach in the history of American sports? <laughs> well, I, I think he, he has absolutely locked up the title of best college football coach of all time. Um, I think if, you know, if you want to get down to the metrics, he has seven national championships, obviously one at LSU, six at Alabama, more than Bear Bryant um, in total, and he was the second most winningest now. Um, Nick Saban's winning percentage is just ridiculous. I, I, I totally think that statistically and just in terms of respect and prowess, it's, it's undeniable that he's the best that this sport has ever seen. If we're going to talk about America as a whole, um, I, I definitely think he's in the conversation, but I don't think that he's really solidified like a first place spot or anything. And I don't even know if that's almost comparable because they're just such different sports, different leagues. I mean, it's it's so much more different than, you know, granted, Nick Saban didn't do very well in the NFL when he was a coach. And so how do you compare that to to Bill Belichick and, and how do you compare it to, you know, um, the, the the crazy dynasties of like uh, John Wooden, UCLA and stuff like that? I mean, it's just right. it's, it's so hard to compare those, but. I definitely think that if you were going to put up like a – say you were going to put up a top five list, how do you not – how do you leave Nick Saban out of it, just given what he's been able to accomplish? I mean, no school has ever won six national championships in a 12-year span. I mean, we 50% of the national championships have gone to just one university in a sport that is just so, so tough to be dominant in and, and to win uh, year in and year out and be a title contender. And, um, I mean, without a doubt. He, he, he definitely the best college football coach of all time, but 
Um, in American sports, I got to put him in the top five. I, I, I'm not going to be as bold as to say number one, though. Well, I had heard an interesting thing about Bear Bryant and one of his national championships, something that I, I wasn't aware of, but during his run, he had a national championship that was basically, at least the way that I understood it, was there was a poll, like an AP poll, and that's how they decided the national champion. So after the regular season, Alabama had been given the national championship, but then in the final game, they lost to Notre Dame, but it didn't matter because they had already been awarded the national championship based on that AP poll. So he had actually won a national championship, but lost to Notre Dame in the final game, (laughs) but it didn't matter because he was still awarded the national championship. Right. Right. Yeah. That's uh, So I thought that was interesting. No, it totally. And and I, I totally acknowledge that that happened. That's what we call a broken system. Um, That's, you know, granted, I don't think that I know that we still claim that national championship. Uh, we have the 18 on our helmets. You know, the, the that's going to be um, the number 18 you're going to see around Tuscaloosa and throughout the country a lot now because that's how many national championships we um, claim to have. Right. And, um, you know, listen, I, I recognize it as an Alabama fan. I do, because if a if a voting system, if we're going to play semantics and we're just going to say that because we lost after we got the national championship that we. Um, it's no longer ours. You know, I don't I don't know. I, I really think that it comes down to the, the voting and the metric system, um, but also full bias, you know, like a, a totally full bias. Like um, I, it's, I grew up with the understanding that we have, you know, this many national championships. And if you go back and see the teams that won them, they were um, all very dominant. And the metric systems at the time gave them to us. It's the same thing with like UCF claiming their national championship because one metric system gave them that national championship, right? You know what? Like, let them have their fun. If they want to claim that, um, that's fine. But, um, you know, it, it's a, the ones that Nick Saban has won have been entirely legit. Um, all six of them, right? Sure. And so those are really the ones that we, uh, we, we, <laughs> we focus on right now. You know, we can, we can argue about the past, but this is really, I mean, this is, this is without a doubt. The not only the best coach of all time, but it's just the best. It's the best college football program in the history of the sport. It's it's almost too dominant. And um, actually, if we have um, a little more time, you know, uh, I don't know how many. Did you have some more questions that you were going to be asking? Um, that was all I had. So unless Sam had uh, one for yeah. you, um, yeah, I, I just had a if Dom, if you want to finish up what you were trying to talk about, or yeah. well, I was going to say that. Um, you know, I, I'm of the belief now that um, I think that there's a little, maybe not even a little, but a lot of um, drag on the sport because of how dominant we have been. And I'm not trying to give us some more credit or tutor horn anymore, but this is just the reality, reality of things. Saban's dominance, as well as Alabama's dominance, is, is putting a drag on college football. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you're going to see that in the college football playoff. You need to expand it. Um, there, there's just, there's fatigue. This, uh, the national championship from a couple nights ago was the least viewed national championship since 2004, because people just really didn't care that Alabama was back in and that we blew out Ohio state and won our sixth national title. And I, I understand that. And I, I want for the long-term health of the sport for people to be more interested in it. I mean, I think it's very healthy and I think the um, the thing that we need to do is expand the playoff. And I was listening to Joel Klatt. Uh, he went on Colin Cowherd the other day, and he was talking about how 
a 10-team playoff would be great for the sport. Did you see um did you see the I think it was yesterday's episode he went on again. He proposed a 14 team playoff. 14. Oh, was it 14? It Maybe it was 14. I and they they gave um Alab- they gave the two top seeds a bye yeah. to ensure that they still have something to play for in their championship games cuz a bye would be huge in yes. a college football playoff. Right. And then subsequently uh matched up the Three versus fourteen, uh, four versus thir- type thing. Yeah, I think you know. I think that's what it was, Sam. I think uh, I think I was thinking ten was the one actually. I think 14... I think you proposed it earlier. I yeah, think you proposed that. Oh, you proposed ten. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I, I probably think that um, we should start with ten, and if if there's still um, a lot of like problems and I, I, well, I don't. I think that the margin of quality probably goes down significantly outside the top ten. Um, and so I would, I would probably propose a top 10 playoff because I'm, I'm with the, you know, first round buys. So there's no just ridiculous blowout that happens, but I'm also definitely for, uh, the middle teams competing. And I think the fact that, I mean, you look at the final AP poll from this year, Texas A&M finished in front of Notre Dame, um, after destroying North Carolina and Notre Dame getting destroyed by Alabama. So, you know, these teams deserve a shot. I really do. And I think Cincinnati, um, the the group of five team deserves an automatic bid. I really like that plan that Joel submitted. I think there just needs to be there's got to be more parity in college football because Alabama being so dominant. I mean, I've seen uh, USA Today they posted a an article about why or how to how to basically break up the monopoly that is Alabama football. Um, which, if you want to get into things, it's not technically a monopoly because other teams have beat us and other teams have won it. We're not winning it every single year, but. That you know, that's yeah. That's I, don't semantic even, side. I don't even think that's um, that's even fair to say just purely Alabama. I think if you just focus on Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, the last fifteen years, I think right. that's where the monopoly is. Yes, I, I, and I would totally agree with that. The the way to break that up, and, and USA Today got slammed for suggesting that diminishing scholarships would be a way to break that up, and I, I think that that is that's asinine because. One, if you diminish our scholarships, you're going to diminish every other team's scholarships. And now everybody's back on an even playing field. And so Alabama's just going to dominate with 75 scholarships instead of 85. And now you've taken away 1,300 opportunities for full-ride scholarships, student-athletes. So that's a ridiculous notion. Um, Wait, just 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 on that, Dom, I was, I was thinking about it. Is there a way that they could limit the number of five stars a certain program can get in a recruiting class? I mean, I guess you could make a, I guess you could make a, um, you could make a rule. I don't know how that would be. I I don't understand how that would be fair. And I I don't understand how that would be like carried out or who would have to restrict that. But the other thing to consider is, you know, Alabama has had better recruiting classes with less five stars. I mean, we've recruited uh, classes that have had 18 four stars, and that was why we had a better recruiting class because teams like Ohio State or Clemson had like six five stars or five star five stars, and we had three, but we had 18 four stars, and we just coached them up to be the level of five stars. So it's, I mean, I don't even think it's the problem with five stars because five stars don't always translate. It's just a matter of recruiting the best players regardless of their star um just from anywhere. I mean, we, we pull them out of California. We pull them out of Texas. We pull them out of Florida. It's 
I don't think that at a, at a recruiting level, it's what needs to be done. I think that it's just at a um, at a level of who can compete to be the best via an opportunity in the playoffs. Because there really are like three spots that are taken every year, and then there's one wild card. You know, I mean, that's just that's kind of how it has been for the last um, you know six years since the playoffs started. And I think at a recruiting level, you you can't do that to kids because if they're set on going somewhere their entire life, but then it's like, oh, you didn't commit fast enough. Now the five-star spots are all locked up for this one school. You know, it's just like that That just shouldn't be how – I, I feel like that's very um, detrimental to recruiting. It's very detrimental to high school athletes. I, I wouldn't be okay with that. Um, yeah, but I sure. definitely think that the way to change that is just the, the playoff. I mean, teams need to know recruits need to know that if they go to the school, they have a chance to get into the playoff. They're not going to be um, limited because they went to a group of five school or because they're usually second in their conference, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I totally am aware that this Alabama fatigue is a real thing. Um, and I, you can't, you can't force Nick Saban to retire. I think he's getting to the end of his, I think he's getting to the end of his rope. Nick Saban said that when he can no longer affect the lives of young men and like mold them to be um, better young adults to have like an impact in their life. That's when he said he would retire. Uh, and that's really why he still coaches the sport. It's not for, it's not for rings really. I mean, if it was, I, he would be retiring after this year, unless he wanted to, you know, somehow get his seventh ring in Alabama and uh, be one ahead of Bear Bryant at Alabama. I mean, that's technically he's tied with him right now. It's the only thing I think I could see, win wise that he would but even that seems just petty you know um for Nick Saban it's really an, an uh it's 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 an outside uh factor as to why he still coaches you know he really enjoys what he does he loves having an effect on on the lives of young men and um who knows when he's not gonna be able to do that but I think I think it's gonna be in the next couple of years guys I don't think that uh we're going to get too many more years of Nick Saban and I'm sure college programs everywhere will be rejoicing when he retires, but there are other ways in the meantime yeah. to even this sport. Um, I agree in the sense that I do think that the uh, college football uh, playoffs would benefit from an expansion just in the sense that you allow for the possibility, even, even if there's no necessarily drama and it ends up just being the chalk you know for the for the regular teams that are there at least you allow for the possibility of variety in that sense so dom i hate to cut you off but we got to keep rolling um thanks uh thank you so much for coming on with us this college football season obviously you were a huge part of of uh of this show um and uh we, I look forward to bringing you back on whenever uh, whenever we can. Yeah, guys, thank you very much. It was an absolute blast. And uh, any time that, uh, you know, you, you think that I could be of some assistance or I could offer something, I'd um, absolutely love to, to come back on the podcast. So I appreciate you guys having How about we, uh, we lock you up for – we lock you up before the draft. How's that? I love it. I love talking yep. about the draft. That sounds great. Perfect. Huh? Devontae Smith, Perfect. number one, right? Perfect. <laughs> I don't know about that. Also – not number two, because I don't want him to go to the Jets either. I don't want anybody to go to the Jets. Well, uh, see, see if you can, uh, you know what? And I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a challenge if you're up for it. See if you can uh, make a one through, uh, just a one through thirty-two mock draft. Oh yeah. For uh, Dom's mock draft, and you'll bring it here on the show. <laughs> Absolutely, sounds great, guys. Thanks, Dom. All right, sounds All right. good. Then we'll talk. Sounds to you good. Then. Roll Tide. See you later. <laughs> see you.
Man, he really made the show uh, sound a lot smarter. Dude, that was he? the – you know what? All – he deserved it. Alabama deserved it. That felt like a victory lap, what was going on. It did. And I am all for it. I am. I am. Now we, now we just need Oregon to win one, right? Yeah, don't hold your breath now. And then you can, you can do your victory <laughs> lap. That's the, the tough thing about oh. that 14-team playoff. Does the Pac-12 get an automatic bid? Because you could have like a, a really bad team make that 14-team playoff if the Pac-12 yeah. gets an automatic yeah. bid. Because there's some down years in the Pac-12. I don't know. And obviously, that's something that would have to be talked about if there were like, do you like, you automatically get, you know, a team from the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and then other, and then because you have the automatic bid, whoever the top team is, do you then start taking it? All right, now we're taking best records and stuff yeah. after that. I, I think don't that's know. Exactly it would be how you do it. right, just kind of like the, um, yeah, kind of like the NFL with like the division winners and then fight for the rest. Um, so yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting. And like I said, even even if it still ended up being Alabama and Clemson at the end, I think that would feel okay because at least you allowed for the potential variety in the championship. Well, yeah, you, know? you would see Clemson go through not Ohio State to the championship. You'd see them go through a Cincinnati or um, play a Texas A&M type. Like it just allows for it allows for a further justification for if an Alabama were to win another championship. It's like, well, yeah, they went through. They had uh, their normal one top 10 win or usually two top 10 wins of SEC teams that year. And then they also beat two top 10s to get a championship type of thing. Right, exactly. So, well, the national championship was a part of a super wild card weekend. So let's get right into the playoff games that we saw on January 9th and January 10th, Saturday and Sunday. I'll just run through the scores. I know probably 99% of you know what happened, but in case you don't know what the final scores were, the Bills beat the Colts 27 to 24. The Rams beat the Seahawks 30 to 20. The Buccaneers beat Washington 31 to 23. And what I thought was probably the most interesting game of the entire weekend. The Ravens beat the Titans 20 to 13. The Saints beat the Bears 21 to 9. And that was a Nickelodeon broadcast, which we'll get into a little later, was genius on the NFL's part. And then you had the Browns beating the Steelers 48 to 37. So Sam, what do we take away? I'm not even going to ask you about a certain game. What What were your thoughts coming out of this weekend about any game, anywhere? Uh, I think we start with the first game of the weekend, Bills-Colts. Uh, definitely not the best Bills team we've seen. They've been proclaimed as the darling of the NFL. They've been the hottest team in the NFL. But they they came up against a tough Colts team took everything that the Colts had and they ended up getting that win. It's, it may be an ugly win. It may be the, it may not be the win that we thought was going to happen, but to get that win out of the way, the first win in since 1995 for that franchise is huge for that team. It'll build momentum into a big matchup against the Ravens. 
Um, I think we're we're probably gonna have to talk about this a little later, Jason. But Seattle, as a three seed, losing to a Rams team in the fashion that they did is embarrassing for that franchise. It's completely disheartening if you're a Seahawks fan. It is everything that I love as a 49er fan to see for a Seattle team (laughs) that let Russ cook looked like the best team in the NFL and then gets totally flattened on their face by the Rams with a one thumbed quarterback. Love to see it. (laughs) Um, Browns came out totally stunned. The Steelers stunned the whole world came out 28 to zero and the game was pretty much over from there. Ravens impressive win, much like the bills. It's I think that win ugly against a good team holding the Titans offense to 13 points, holding Derrick Henry to what less than 50 rushing yards in the entire game. Yeah. I I'll get you the official number on that. You can keep going, but I'll find they did that such a good job and just getting Lamar that first experience of getting a playoff W now he can just now that that monkey's off the back he can just go on to have bigger and better things in the NFL and, and 40 yards 40 yards That's for just Derek insane by far what is lowest rushing total in the season it's gotta be it's gotta be that was an impressive win sets up a great matchup against the Bills uh the Bears Saints game Luckily, this game was on Nickelodeon because that was the only entertaining thing about this game. It really was, uh, yeah. If you're a Saints fan, you get a win. If you're a Bears fan, <clears throat> Jenna, you, I don't know, are looking for a rebuild, even though you're a playoff team. Yeah. Because yeah. they could not get anything going. Uh, congratulations to Mitch Trubisky on being the Nickelodeon game MVP. Um <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> uh, and that game—I think those those games were on the same day. The but no, the Bucks Washington game was the night game on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. Taylor Hinnicky, Tyler Hinnicky, was it Tyler Hinnicky, or is it ta- no? No, it might be Taylor <laughs> Hinnicky. The- <laughs> yeah, it's Taylor. Yeah, it's Taylor. Uh, is Taylor? Is that what you said? Taylor, yes, Taylor, yeah. I think it's Tyler, dude. Okay, Washington football team's it's quarterback. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> it's Taylor. Played out of his mind, did put up a valiant effort, but there was no way that Washington was going to win that game. Uh, Tampa moves on easily for a great matchup against the Saints. Volume three. Yeah, so the Bills, so I'll just – I'll run through it quickly as well. The Bills-Colts game was – not obviously not. I don't think what anybody was expecting with the tear that the Bills have been going on, uh, or that the the tear that the Bills were going on towards the end of the season. But Josh Allen still is proving that he is one of the top quarterbacks in the in the entire NFL. He was twenty six for thirty five, three hundred and twenty four yards, two touchdowns. Stephon Diggs is also maybe ascended to the top wide receiver top in the league, maybe. Easily in that conversation, absolutely. Um, the Colts, their defense, I mean, I know they gave up 27 points, but they they really did keep the Bills in check for a while. I mean, the Bills didn't have this gigantic scoring barrage. It was very slow and methodical. 
I mean, they had seven in the first, seven in the second, three in the third quarter, and ten in the fourth. The Colts actually outscored the Bills in the fourth quarter, 14-10. to 10. So, you know, the Colts gave – I mean, as a Colts fan, it's I feel like – and I'm not a Colts fan, but, you know, you just – you gave the Bills your best punch, and – and it wasn't good enough. And I don't – I unlike if you're a Steelers fan where you feel like you let that game go, I feel like if you're a Colts fan, you could at least look, at, least look at this game and go, well, we just, we just got beat. We didn't lose the game. We just got beat. And I feel like that's something that you can hang your hat on as opposed to the Steelers who absolutely just kind of let the game go. You know, the Steelers-Browns game, that game was as much a product of the Steelers beating themselves as the Browns winning. I mean, the very first play of the game, you don't expect your center, who I believe has been in the league for like 10 years and is a pro bowler, to snap it right over Ben's head and get a touchdown on the first play for the Browns defense. And then... You know, one of Big Ben's interceptions went right through the hands of his receiver, right to a Brown safety. Another one got tipped at the line of scrimmage, and the defensive lineman made a diving catch to, to catch play. the interception. And then the other one, it was. And then the other one was a one-handed it, snag by like a linebacker. Me? Defensive linemen gotta have the best hands in the NFL. I mean. <laughs> Maybe I I swear they it's, they defensive linemen always come up with they definitely have the best hands on the defense. I think that's no doubt. Maybe it's maybe it's just because they have the biggest hands. The football is not even not they even just, small to them. They just, they just Kawhi <laughs> palm the football. Right, exactly. Um, but again, like the Ste- that Steelers game, that Steelers Browns game was as much a product of the Steelers just shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again as it was the Browns, you know, asserting kind of their dominance. Now, the Saints-Bears game, again, wasn't wasn't all that entertaining. I don't really have a ton to say about that game uh, other than, you know, I think it's time for the Bears to – I think the Matt Nagy-Mitch Trubisky train has uh, has left the station. I think you need – I think you need to look for, for – uh, for a new duo there. The Ra- the Ravens-Titans game was as entertaining as I think everybody thought it was going to be. And congratulations to Lamar for getting that first playoff win. It sets up a really, really interesting matchup this weekend with the Ravens and the Bills. The Rams-Seahawks game, I think you and I are going to talk about this game a little bit more in depth because I have some different thoughts about this game. The Rams defense, if it didn't prove to you that they are the best defense in the league, then I don't know what I, I don't know what else you need to you need to see. They they were just completely and utterly dominant in all facets of the game. Holding Russell Wilson to eleven completions. He was eleven for twenty seven. He was eleven for twenty seven. Russ had a How many terrible sacks? game. To the rent and how many sacks? That's a good question. Let's look at it right here. Um, so defense, dun, 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 dun. two, four, five, five sacks. Mm-hmm. And five sacks on Russell Wilson. So 
again, I have some different thoughts on this game than Sam does, but we can get into that a little later. And then the Bucks washington game was my favorite game to watch, and it was solely because of Taylor Hineke and the way that he played. That was just – it was so much fun to watch him – just, I mean, he, he played his heart out. He played his heart out, and he played really well. I mean, under the circumstances, he played really, really well going up against a Bucks offense that has been very prolific the last couple games of the season. And Tampa scoring 31 points on that Washington defense, uh, that says a lot. That says a lot about what their offense has become. So, in terms of the divisional round, it sets up the Rams-Packers, Browns-Chiefs, Ravens-Bills, Buccaneers-Saints. So, we don't have to dive into each matchup, but to you, what do you think the best game or the best matchup on paper is? And what is the worst game Um, on paper? The best game will be Bills-Ravens. Um, they're all interesting. I think the least interesting is Packers Rams, and then next Chiefs Browns, and then I give Saints Buccaneers. I'm intrigued, even though the Saints have kind of handled the Bucks. But anytime you play the same team for a third time, right. that is that just leaves like the Bucks know exactly what the Saints are going to do, and if they don't then they're going to get walloped. Mm -hmm. I feel like this Browns-Chiefs game has the potential to be interesting. And I know that it has also, on (laughs) on the same coin, just flip side, I know that it could be a blowout. It could, it very well could be. But I do think the Browns have a formula that could give the Chiefs some fits. The Browns run the football really well. And when you're running the football really well, the clock keeps running. Now, the Chiefs are such an explosive offense. And I know that you hear a lot of people go, well, in order to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you have to keep Mahomes off the field. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true because they can score in about a minute and a half if they need to. They do it all the time. So I I heard – I was listening to ESPN – earlier this week and somebody had mentioned what I think it was Dan Orlovsky mentioned what he thought was the key for the Browns to win. And he was saying they needed three drives of like six to eight minutes or more that resulted in touchdowns. They, they, they needed, they need those big chunky drives that don't finish with field goals. And they need to just eat the clock. And I, I agree in that sense. If the Browns have any chance of winning this game, they can't score right away. Now, if they do, then big whoop, they still score. But they can't score right away. And they cannot settle for field goals. They have to score touchdowns in this game in order to win. Because you know the Chiefs are going to march down the field. At one point or another, they're going to find a rhythm eventually. But I do think the Browns do have – I think there is a path for them to win this game. Do I think they're going to win this um, game? No. But I, see, I, see I this think game it's there. I see this game playing out perfectly in my head. The Chiefs will start out slow because they're coming off a bye. They haven't played in two weeks. They haven't played in two weeks. And the Browns just came off of an offensive juggernaut 
against a good Pittsburgh defense. Cleveland will come out to a two-touchdown lead early in this game. And it plays right into the Chiefs' hands because they did it all last postseason. They're going to come back. They probably win by 10 or more. That's how I see this game going. Mm -hmm. I don't disagree with that. Um, I agree with you. I do think the Ravens and the Bills game is the most interesting game. You have two of the most exciting quarterbacks in the league going up against each other. A Ravens team who's coming in hot because Lamar got his first playoff win. But also a Bills team that's coming in hot because the Bills got their first playoff win Mm -hmm. in years. And actually, it's the first playoff win since Josh Allen has been alive. (laughs) So there's there's that as well. There's an interesting stat for you. (laughs) Um, Bills Mafia is coming in hot as well. I think that is by far the most intriguing matchup. I know you have the Bucks and the Saints, and you have the battle of the two legendary quarterbacks. That'll be fun to watch. Maybe. But you maybe, yeah, potentially. I disagree, though. I don't with you saying that the Rams and the Packers game is the least interesting game. Um, I re, I really Man, you're really, I, I really drinking think, the Rams uh, Kool Aid just to spite me. No, 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 no. Okay, so we'll get. So we'll get we'll get into this a little bit. So Sam and I had very different thoughts about the Rams Seahawks game, and because he sent me a text saying, you know, if the Seahawks lose, then it'll be embarrassing for their franchise. And I asked him why, and he, you know, all the reasons that he mentioned already. But this Rams defense, this Rams defense is they're the best defense in the league by far. By far. The numbers prove it. By far. And how far, Jason? Uh, by far. <laughs> now I un- I understand I understand that Jared Goff was playing with essentially yeah, one a thumb. surgically repaired thumb. Less than what, twelve days? But at the but at the end of the day, with Jared Goff still playing, that was their guy all year. That was their starting quarterback. I know he wasn't the Jared 100%. Goff that started all year had but, two but thumbs. Not the guy that played Saturday. But, but what team right now really is at 100%? Everybody's battling some sort of injury or not. I understand that Goff's injury is a little bit bigger because – it was a surgery on his throwing thumb. So I get that. But the Rams have, this season, have been successful because of their defense. And they won that playoff game because of their defense. It wasn't anything that they hadn't done before this year. And their offense hasn't been as explosive this year, and yet they still put up 30 points. I'll look back at their schedule right now. The last time they put up 30 points was December 6th against the Cardinals. And then they did it mm, three other times, but that was back in October and September. So they don't put up 30 points very often. They still put up 30, and their defense played extremely well. I don't think it was as embarrassing as you say it was. Well, Russell gifted them seven points with that pick six on the screen pass. 
okay, well, Roethlisberger and the Steelers gifted the Browns seven was, points was on the, the Brown, first play. Is the Steelers' loss not embarrassing for the Steelers? Was it yeah, not would embarrassing? You, would you say it was uh, dumbfounding, laughable. I would say, I would, I'd say that loss was was worse than the Steelers' loss. I mean, than the yeah, Seahawks' say, loss. I would, I would wholeheartedly disagree. We're talking about a twelve and four Seattle team, the third seed in the NFC, playing a Rams team that limped it into the playoffs. They lost to, just on December 20th, they lost to the Lonely Jets. Do we remember that? That was with a healthy Jared Goff. They lost to the Jets. Then they go into Seattle with a healthy Jared Goff, put up nine points. Healthy Jared Goff. Then they squeak into the the playoffs because the Cardinals suck. We all knew that. And they come into Seattle. Two teams going in completely different directions. Seattle looking great, looking like they found their defense, yada, 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 just having beaten the Rams uh, the two days after Christmas. So two weeks prior, they had just beaten the same team with a healthy quarterback. And then, magically, the Rams win? That is all to do with Seattle and their inefficiencies. That, to me, is embarrassing, is unreasonable, illogical, unrational of a way to lose that game. If you are Seattle and you're trying to get to that, back to the Super Bowl, back to the dynasty of Seattle, that's not the way to do it. Okay, but see, you set the narrative for that game. Well, the narrative is... In a sense, I don't know, comparable to the Steelers Browns. The Steelers, another twelve and four team who was eleven and zero to start the season, mind you, who was playing against the Browns. Who, by the way, Ben Roethlisberger, and this was six. This was from six days ago, so this isn't the case anymore. But Ben Roethlisberger going into that game was twenty four two and one versus the Browns, which, by the way isn't the highest active win percentage for a quarterback against one team because Tom Brady is 32 and three against the bills. But Ben Roethlisberger was 24 and two against the Browns. So you have the big brother Steelers going against the little brother Browns in the playoffs. And they absolutely just looked horrible. They had four turnovers the very first play of the game resulted in a defensive touchdown, not because the Browns did anything special, but because the Steelers just who's a, gave who's a, it to Who's them. a better team, Browns they just or just gave Rams? it to them. Well, I – well, see, now you're getting into spoiling my power okay. rankings. Well, okay, so in my opinion, the Browns have showed all year that they're – a better team. Well, maybe not all year because the Rams did start off pretty, pretty well, and they were at one point I think the top yeah, they, of the NFC, yeah. and then they just fell off. So we have to keep that in consideration. I don't care about the uh, Ben Roethlisberger is what thirty? No, no. What was he? Twenty and something? 
24 and 2 against two. one of the worst franchises ever in any professional sports. And just so happens this year that they're actually good, right? So we have to keep it into this year, this context, right? The Browns have were 11 and 5 this year. I know, I think the Rams actually finished 10 and 6, which actually isn't that bad, but the Browns were 11 and 5, prolific offense. They've beaten the likes of the the Colts. Um, they've beaten Dallas when they were actually good. Like, this is a team that puts up points. The fact that they put up 48 points should not be that crazy. Because they've, they've done it all year. And they've had one of the best rushing attacks this whole season with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and they just went wild. And I'm going to pat myself on the back here because we, when Brendan came on, I put out the notion when you were talking about this Pittsburgh Steelers team that was undefeated, had just beaten the Ravens, and I merely uttered, well, I don't think Pittsburgh is that much, is better than Baltimore. And I got salute by you and Brendan and even some of my roommates, right? So I'm going to say, you know what? The fact that the Pittsburgh loss was not super surprising to me because I was not drinking the Pittsburgh Kool-Aid at all this year. Okay? Well, and but the thing is, is that you have to take into consideration what we were talking about at the time. Was that not right? Because at the time, the Ste- the whoa, hang on. The Steelers at the time were 11-0. and They were playing extremely well, and they actually mm, still had a rushing Extremely attack. well is a pretty loose lose description of what was going on you fast forward five weeks later the ravens get hot the steelers no for whatever reason decide that they're not going to run the football anymore and then all of a sudden they look completely different so at the time i didn't agree with your take towards the end of the season yes then that would have made sense. But at the time, no, I didn't agree well, with you, and I'll stand by that. At least um, have the humility and the uh, the graciousness to uh, give me some damn respect, Jason. <laughs> and give me my credit. Besides <laughs> the foresight to look past okay, LeBron. Pittsburgh's record, because that was the simple thing that you guys said, well, they beat the Ravens straight up. And they're undefeated. And I was like, well, that doesn't mean anything. And now you're saying, well, I can't give you your credit because that was then and this is now. But I had the foresight. I could look into the future and see that this Pittsburgh team was not as good as what you guys proclaimed it to be. So that is why the Browns winning was not as surprising as a Seattle team who we've been propping up. I think we both put them in our power rankings almost every time. Maybe not. They were close, if anything. Losing to a Rams team again with a quarterback that wasn't even supposed to be playing, supposed to be healthy enough to play. That is laughable, is problematic for that franchise, probably makes them look at themselves in the mirror and says, what is going on? 
Well, I'll put a poll up on my Instagram page, and I'll have people vote. What did, what was the more embarrassing loss, the Steelers or the Seahawks? And we'll uh, we'll get to public opinion. We'll see. We shall see. Um, moving on to the uh, divisional round. So I have a power rankings for you guys, and then Sam has a power rankings for, for you guys as well, but his would be the NBA. Mine is the NFL. Um, so I've just power ranked the remaining teams – in the NFL, one through eight. Sam, do you want me to start at eight and go up or go one uh, down eight? I think it's going to be eight and go up. All right. So I think seven and eight, as you can tell, is really a matter of uh, perspective. And I know that all of this is a matter of perspective. But I feel like because I have the, the Browns at eight and the Rams at seven. And the only reason why, the only reason why is because I think that the Rams win was more impressive than the Browns win in the sense that the Steelers played as much of a role in the Browns winning as the Browns did. The Rams just straight up beat did, the Steelers. How did Russell Wilson like, not throwing a pick six contributed to the Rams losing? I mean, the Rams winning. Okay, fine. That's one. That's That's one instance. The Steelers again turn the ball over four times. So if you want to give if you want to give Russ the the giving the giving the Rams a pick six, I'll give you the Steelers giving the Browns a defensive what did, touchdown what did you on say the first Russell play. Russell had he went eleven so, for twenty seven. How is that not contributing yes. to a Rams win? Because the defense forced him to do that. Russell didn't play well, not because Russell's bad. But because the defense forced so, him to play wait, wait, that wait. way, so did you Cleveland watch the game? The ball on their defensive line is that not the defense of Cleveland playing well and forcing turnovers? See, see, like it doesn't. There's no, like, you're not keeping it equal here. Yes, I am, dude. We're talking about. You're talking about. I could spin it. Def- I could spin it to where Cleveland Look, I'm not, we, we turned just, over Pittsburgh four times, and that shows that their defense has the ability to create turnovers. Okay, first of all, the Browns didn't cause the snap over the head, and the Browns also didn't cause the drop ball, which turned into a tip and landed right into the safety's hands. That wasn't the Browns doing anything. That was just a gift. Wow. Did it have a, did it have a ribbon on it? Both of those instances. Did it have a, uh, a, a tag on it should have. To Cleveland, love Pittsburgh. Love, love your dad. Yeah, it should have. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah. Anyway, someone's, we can we can go back and tell, forth on this all day. Uh, but I have the Browns at eight last month. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um. So I have the Browns at eight, the Rams at seven. Uh, I have New Dude, Orleans at six. Um. I have New Orleans at six. That win against the Bears was not impressive, was not impressive at all. Um, Now, it was the first time that Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara, and Michael Thomas were all on the field at the same time this entire season. Uh, Drew still had a pretty good game. He was 28 for 39, 265, two touchdowns, no picks. Kamara had a touchdown. He was one yard away from 100 uh, yards. And Michael Thomas also had a touchdown as well. But for whatever reason, that offense was not as 
was not nearly as explosive as it has been. Did it produce? Yes. They had 27 first downs, 385 total yards, and their defense played well, as well. But still, it was not as impressive as I think that win should have been against a Bears team that is just, quite frankly, not good. Um, so, number five, I put Tampa. I put Tampa. Um I, I'm not trying to slight Tampa in any way. I just think that the teams that are above them just played better this weekend. That's really all. Um, Tampa putting up 31 against Washington's defense uh, is really impressive. But again, I still think that uh, the other teams deserve is, is a higher it, spot. Um, wait, is it, is I went it back fair and... to say that that Washington game should not have been that close for most of that game? It was like a two-point game for most of it. It was really close, and I mean, maybe. I mean, you got a you got a, a really phenomenal performance from your backup quarterback from Washington. From like their, for, he wasn't um, even on the roster. I think two weeks ago. Yeah, he. Uh, I don't think you can call him a backup. Yeah, so you <laughs> maybe not. Um, but I tell you what, you keep he, him on he, the roster he was now. College classes. <laughs> I think he was trying to get his degree. I think it was. Yeah, he had a. Yeah, it's like engineering oh, degree. And he had to postpone so his finals. Um. So I yeah I would say so I I didn't expect it to be as close as it was but again I think that's credit to how good Washington's defense is. Yeah. Did uh, they kept it close? Back? Um. Ooh, good question. I don't think so. Actually, um, I'll check real quick. Um, no, he, Guess did he not. didn't want Tom. He did not. Guess not. <laughs> um, so I went back and forth between where the Bills and the Ravens should be. I honestly think you could put the Ravens at three and the Bills at four, or the Bills at three and the Ravens at four. I think they're so equally matched, um, that wherever you decided to put them, mm-hmm. I think would be fine. Um, I, I put the Ravens at four and the Bills at three. Um, and it's tough because both of these teams are similar in the sense that they both were extremely hot coming into the playoffs. I think the Ravens were riding like a five-game winning streak and the Bills were riding like a six-game winning streak. Their games were very similar in the sense that it was close the entire way. Uh, their offenses both produced – really really well i think the colts went up i mean the bills went up against a better defense and put up more points obviously um and i just i I really have to go based off of their most recent performances and i think the bills just played a little bit better um so for that reason i put them there and then i put the packers at two and the chiefs at one we haven't seen them play but they're one but they're they were the top seeds in their division so i had to wait would you you put uh well, That's the final a, is Packers two, Chiefs one. Yeah. So, any uh, major disagreements you know, with say, those other than the bottom thing was major, man. Uh, really, we're just pulling hairs at this point. Um, I would put New Orleans above Tampa, yeah. just because they've beaten them twice, and they're going to have home field for this. So, I think they just deserve mm-hmm. to be higher than uh, Tampa, and to me, both teams. Uh, didn't play up to snuff, so. No, they did not. They did not. Um, 
All right, so that'll do it for us on the uh, NFL news. Let's move on to the NBA where Sam also has some power rankings for you guys. Yes, yeah, so I hope well. we turn so this I'll into a weekly thing. Maybe we can switch off or uh, make a combined list. But I'm gonna, I think we should do a top five teams right now with keeping in recency bias galore of the NBA. So I'm going to start at number five. With the fifth seed in the West, the Portland Trailblazers, who are riding on a three-game win streak, beating the Timberwolves, Raptors, and the great Sacramento Kings. CJ McCollum has started the year like scorching hot, Jason. If he doesn't get an all-star, there is something wrong because he is averaging 28 points, which is his career high. He's outpacing one of the best point guards in the league, Dame, who's putting in, you know, just a measly 26, along with one of the deepest rosters in the NBA, just full of high-quality players. Their rotation consists of Ennis Cantor, Nurkic, Mello, Gary Trent Jr., Robert Covington, and Derek Jones Jr., all proving to be formidable contributors on a high-level team. That's number five. Okay, are you still there? <laughs> got, got no, yeah, I got no problems with that. I thought you were going to just keep moving. <laughs> a team in Mormon country, the second seed in the West, also on a three-game winning streak, with a huge win over the Milwaukee Bucks. It's the Utah Jazz, led by Donovan Mitchell, proving once again he's one of the best shooting guards in the league, averaging twenty-three points. Probably another All-Star campaign. He's getting help from Mike Conley, who's down. He actually might be up from last year's points per game total, but he's averaging 17 and they're getting 17 per game from Jordan Clarkson with contributions from uh, Bogdanovich and Rudy Gobert, the max NBA player in averaging 11 points. So that's the Utah jazz. (laughs) And the reason I put them above Portland is because they're the second seed in the West and they have a better record. The third may surprise you, Jason. I'm drinking some Lamella Ball right. Kool-Aid. I put the Charlotte Hornets at number three. Oh. They have the longest active okay. win streak with four games. With wins against the Hawks twice. Two impressive wins. A win against Lamelo's brothers, Pelicans. And a win against the Knicks. Gordon Hayward is showing that he's a true number one again. Uh, re- shaking off his time in Boston to really remind us what a prime Gordon Hayward looks like the one that we saw in Utah. He's averaging around 22 per game. I think it was LaMelo's game is coming into its own. He's now stat padding with triple doubles. He's getting more points. Terry Rozier is averaging 19 per game. And they're doing this with Devonte Graham. One of the surprises of last season, he's in a slump right now. So if he were to come out of it, the Charlotte Hornets could be scary. That's number three. Mm-hmm. Number two and one, I think, are right. pretty lackluster. I put the Celtics at number two. They're the best team in the East. They're six and one in their last seven. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are both averaging around 26 this year. It's cool. It's nice to see Jalen Brown really take that step up. And it's, it, hopefully, he gets recorded. Or, uh, rewarded with an all-star appearance this year. And this team is doing this without Kemba Walker. 
this team is going to be scary if they're healthy. Maybe the best team in the East. And at number one, no surprises, we're pretty much a Lakers show at this point. The number one seed in the NBA on a three-game winning streak. They're seven and one in their last eight. LeBron is averaging quite possibly the most effortless 24 per game I think I've ever seen. It seems like he's playing with James Harden effort, but he's just so much more efficient. He's getting 22 from AD, probably the most silent 22 per game I've ever seen. Schroeder's giving them 14. Montrez is giving them 13. And then just a myriad of other quality contributions sprinkled in and out. This team looks like they're retooled and recalibrated to get another NBA championship. So that's my top five right now. Well, well, you look at their last game against the Rockets, they had no person play over 30 minutes in that game. And then they also had one, two, three, four, five, six players over 10 points. So they had six players scoring over 10 while having so nobody the, play the more than 30 minutes. I want to um, clarify with this list, I – am concerned more with what you have done lately than what you have done throughout the year. So I uh, did not include the Sixers who are the second seed in the East. I didn't include uh, the Clippers or the Nuggets or uh, Milwaukee. I, I think the, the most important thing with this power rankings is what, how your team is playing as of now. That's the big thing. Right. Well, I think one of the biggest surprises right now has been Brooklyn. They just had, six and six. you know, what the COVID bug, uh, Kyrie not wanting to play basketball anymore. You know, that, that's tough for a team when <laughs> what, are, <laughs> what are your problems? Yeah, Kyrie again. Not wanna, uh, I don't know, join in uh, his job, maybe. Uh, you know what? If there's something yeah. going on with Kyrie that, we got to give it the benefit of the doubt because we are not privy to all the information that is going on in Kyrie's life. Uh, so to no. jump to conclusions and say that this dude needs to show up to his job, blah, 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 blah. blah. Like we are, we do not know everything that is going on. So uh, hopefully they sort it out soon because they can be one of the best teams in the NBA for sure. Especially if Kevin Durant is playing like he is, hundred percent Kevin Durant. There is no ramifications or anything to that Achilles injury. He looks great this year. And that team around yeah. him, it sucks that Spencer did when he is out for this season. That's a huge blow for them, but they have the pieces to hopefully pick up the slack. Well, and I feel like we would uh, we wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we didn't talk about I was our very Sacramento close to Kings. Putting them in this uh, top five list just for you know to keep the peace, right? And just yeah, for beating it, the Pacers. <laughs> I think it's it's last episode we talked about the doom and gloom of the Sacramento Kings because they had just lost three straight. They had uh, did not look like the team that we were accustomed to this season in a short sample size. And then they beat Chicago and I was like, Oh, okay. So they've, they've righted the ship. And then they lose two straight again against Toronto and Portland. They get blown out 
Toronto is not a good team this year, and the Kings were up by 19 at one point in the first quarter and end up losing the game by 21. Not good to a bad team. Mm-hmm. And then Portland, it, it seemed like Sacramento, team, Sacramento was a JV to Portland most of that game. They just could not defend whatsoever. And then we're now sitting here today with having the Kings get an impressive win against Indiana, who's a good team and was fully healthy. And it's like, well, do we go totally in on the Kings or reel it back because they just came off of a win? It's it's really going to depend. I don't have a good feeling about this Portland game that's coming up um, just because they showed no ability to defend Portland the last time they played. Uh, I think some highlights of this year, Fox is playing well. He's not shooting well from the three-point line or the free-throw line. And that Harrison, Harrison Barnes, Barnes, the fact that Harrison easy. Barnes is giving you 17 a game, and he's shooting 43% from the, from the three-point line, I don't think will last. But it, if it does, that is huge for this team, and that is the reason why they're taking a step up. Mm-hmm. And then Tyrese Halliburton, NBA I, Rookie of the Year. I don't think he'll have the stats. For, like, I don't out. know. <laughs> no, nah, he either Lamelo or Anthony Edwards, <laughs> or um, I don't even think Wiseman's. I, I haven't seen what he's doing. Um, but I, but man, how the they just play differently when Halliburton's like an on NBA the court. vet in a rookie's body. He has a he has more basketball IQ than Hassan Whiteside, who's been in the league for almost a decade. It doesn't make any sense, and he yeah. leads the the Kings' offense better than Corey Joseph, who's an NBA vet and has been on multiple NBA teams. And he's shooting great from the three point line. He's shooting like still fifty percent, I think, close to it. And the fact that, honestly, it's not just what he does on offense, but his defense and his energy, is it just seems contagious, you know? Like, when you have Tyrese and Holmes and Barnes out there together, like, they're just playing hard. Those three guys play Rashawn very Holmes hard. Is, uh, one of the highest motors in the NBA. What he was doing against uh, Indiana being oh, a yeah. shot blocker, if he can – continue to average his 1.5 blocks and maybe even build on that to get it up to like 1.8 ish. This team will be in a good spot. And it was nice to also see buddy have, I guess a bounce back. I would game love to see buddy be, like slightly more efficient. Cause he, he went six for 11. So six threes is awesome. Right. But the turnovers and yeah. The fact that the only thing Buddy Heel I want to see Buddy Hill do is catch and shoot is a problem because he can't defend, and when he has right. the ball in his hands, it's either a turnover or a bad decision. Do you know what oh, Buddy's God, real know. name is? I'm what just looking at it right now. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it properly, so I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna try my best. It looks, yeah, it's like Chivano Rainier huh. Buddy Healed. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad he. Oh yeah, I think that's how you. Chivano. 
I didn't know. I didn't know that until right now. I had no idea. <laughs> so there you go. We're just bringing you guys new, amazing, and I'm when I mean amazing, I mean that is amazing information. Did you know he was the sixth overall pick? <laughs> no. Did you know he was a bench player in New Orleans and is a well, prominent what is that starter say? for does the Kings? More about the Kings or the Pelicans. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I, man, I've when I've been at work, I've had my my radio. I mean, I have my radio on literally all day. So one of the stations that I listen to just pretty much centers around the Kings, and Buddy is getting some huge backlash. Now well, I guess right so six but, points less per game this year than he did last year. So he's in a slump, no doubt about it. And he's playing awful defense. Like, yeah, awful defense. Oh, he's the worst defender on the Kings. He gets matched up with, like, CJ McCollum and Victor Oladipo and Malcolm Brogdon. It's like, can we, I, I don't know, fix this somehow? James Harden doesn't find himself on these players. Can right. we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Put put Tyrese please. on him, please. Like, somebody. <laughs> Even if Tyrese, even if Tyrese loses, at least you know he'll oh, be the really trying. So that Chicago game was a big win, but Zach Levine was cooking, but he healed. Oh, he's on a scoring. He's on Zach Levine right now. It's just on I a said scoring. It, I said it as a joke yeah. in our group chat. What if the Kings offer? I think they tried to max Zach Levine. What if that went through? I said it as a joke. I didn't know he was going to turn into an all-star level player. Right now he's averaging 27 points per game on 50 on 49% from the field. Not playing well. I can't remember their record. They're four and seven and they're getting 27 per game from tackle beam. So, well, It'll be interesting to see what they do tonight against Portland. Yeah, I'm, again, uh, the hopes are not high. No, I, but I, I love watching this team, man. <laughs> I love that NBA basketball is back, and we and we get something to talk oh, about absolutely. on a daily absolutely. basis. Mhm, mhm. Well, the. Potential best football weekend of the year is here. It starts Saturday. We hope you all find a good and comfortable place to watch the football games this weekend. I know we will be as well. And hopefully the Kings continue their one-game winning streak. Not, <laughs> Let's turn it into two, win, baby. Man. I'm feeling it. We've got a giant wooden desk right here. So. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 74 of Nothing to Say to Fans podcast. We've got some stuff behind the scenes that we're trying to get worked out. Um, I'm not going to promise you anything, but we, uh, we're we trying yeah, to expand we're a little bit. we're looking for a new so host. We, um, uh, Jason's just not cutting it. We both came to the conclusion. So um, I'm glad Jason was man enough to, cut, to uh, make that public. Um, I wasn't expecting it. I was going to do it. But Jason, good on you, man. Well, that uh, 
We're getting Doug Christie. I don't really have any words for that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, in, in that case, <laughs> in that case. Um, but, yeah, we are trying to expand a little bit, so so we'll keep uh, keep an eye out for that because we're, we're doing stuff – we're doing some stuff behind the scenes. So I uh, don't know when that's coming, but hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. So thank you all uh, so much for 